Well, hey, I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community. We just want to say thank you for tuning into our service today. Uh, before you watch the service, I want to encourage you, head to our website. we got a lot of stuff going on as a church. You can find out more about it there. Uh, if you're not following us, go ahead and like this, subscribe, and uh, hope you enjoy the service. The story I want to tell you today is I never really went on a lot of road trips going growing up, but the few road trips that I did go to, they're not very pleasant. I never really liked road trips. That was like a time where I would feel carsick every time. It wasn't enjoyable, maybe because the roads in Brazil where I grew up were kind of crazy and high traffic and crazy drivers, and sometimes the traffic was just so blocked out, then there was a time we stepped outside the car and started playing volleyball. That's how crazy the thing was. And there were no signs, and you know, we'd be driving, oh shoot, the exit was an hour back, so you have to turn around and you waste two hours of your life to find the exit again. Anyway, road trips were like, ah, they were like an inconvenience, a high inconvenience from where I was to the place that I actually wanted to be. I just wanted to get there. I wish I could, you know, teletransport to the place that I wanted to go because the journey was so painful and unpleasant. Until I moved here, and then my husband, Daniel, started kind of teaching me the joys of road trip, and you actually enjoy the path, and there's this experience along the journey that can be enjoyed just as much as the destination. And I started to realize that, that there is actually an importance to the journey. There's meaning, there's relevance in the journey, and that's true not only for actual road trips, but for our lives. And this is something I've been thinking a lot about for the past years. It's been a theme that I'm working through is this desire that we have to. Can we just skip through the hard part and get to the good part? I just want to get there. I don't want to have to deal with these things, this space in between that and how we handle that. Is, it makes a huge difference in our journey. So, so here we are in our five-week mini-series on the way to the cross, and we're looking at Jesus' journey to the cross and what all the things that happened on his path there. And needless to say, he was going through a very, very difficult journey here that we've been uh, looking at. Now, I would love to just skip to the resurrection, right? Like, okay, he died, let's get to the victory, let's get to the triumph, let's get to the party, that's the good part, that's amazing. But how can you appreciate, fully appreciate the victory unless you understand the journey? And not just in Jesus' journey, but in our journey. I've been thinking a whole lot about this and looking at how Jesus handled his hardships on his path to the cross. So just a quick recap 
Over in the last few weeks, we were in John chapter 18, where we saw that it was Passover week, so Jesus and his disciples went to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival, and the religious leaders took opportunity of, of that event that Jesus was there, and they arrest him, and they question him, and then they take him to Pilate, who was the Roman governor, and Pilate questions him, and Pilate actually finds no fault in him. So he comes back to the Jewish leaders, and he's like, I find no basis for a charge against him, guys. Do you want to reconsider? There's this guy, Barabbas, and there's Jesus. Do you want to free one of them? And they're like, 100% free Barabbas. Jesus needs to die. And that's where we pick up today that leads us to the story we're going to look at today. John chapter 19, verse 1. Let's read. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed, clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Right? That's heavy. And I warned you, that's the part I want to skip through. That's hard. That's the stuff that Jesus had to endure. Jesus was taken to be flogged. In our culture, I don't know that we even understand what flogging is. Back then, if you tell them Jesus was flogged, they're like, whoa, whoa. That's like the top most extreme form of punishment that not only was extremely uh, brutal, brutal, but also only used to the worst of criminals. The fact that Jesus went through that not only represented intense physical pain, but also intense emotional humiliation. The flogging wasn't something that would just leave you with a few bruises. It's something that actually killed some of the prisoners. Some of them did not survive that process of flogging. That's how horrible and intense that was. It was, um, it, it would just shred their bodies and it was a punishment on itself. And then on top of that, they put, we read that they put a crown of thorns on Jesus' head, which we know crown is a symbol of majesty, but a crown of thorns represented not only pain, but a mockery against Jesus. You claim to be a king? Well, here's your crown, and a crown of thorns was placed on his head. In addition to that, the purple robe also represented uh, royalty. That's what the purple robe means. And so the soldiers are here putting all these things on Jesus, mocking the fact that he claims to be a king. And in other contexts, all the, the crown and the robe, it would be so poetic and profound, but coming from this heart of humiliation and trying, they're trying to strip every honor and every status out of Jesus through those actions, and they're like, hail king, hail king, and poking fun and teasing uh, Jesus in that moment of physical and emotional crushing pain and humiliation. As horrible as this is to hear, 
what Jesus had to endure. This whole event is described in prophecies. The prophets knew that this would be happening to their coming king and savior, Messiah. And that was one of the passages that we read here, we read here in the beginning of the service from Isaiah that speaks of this suffering servant that would have no beauty to them. He would be tortured, despised, rejected. And that's the prophecy of the Savior King that Jesus is fulfilling in this moment here in John 19. He had to suffer and die to make us whole. So after Jesus' beating, there was this series of conversations that happen here that John really cares to tell us about. I've been reading this chapter like every day for a month and it's just fascinating to me. It's like a, a script for a, a theater, for a play. You know, there's all the, the dialogues and the scene settings and all these different things. I think the high schooler in me was like, hey, play, let's do this. And all the conversations that happen between the religious leaders and Pilate and Pilate and Jesus and they go inside the palace, they go outside the palace. So we're going to read this next portion of scripture and I want to invite you to enter this with me. Let's visualize what's taking place here and pay attention to the three characters that are uh, represented here, the religious leaders. Every time it says Jew, Jews, chief priests, they're all the Jewish leaders. Then we have Pilate, and then we have Jesus. And these are the three groups of people having the conversations. And they're either inside of the palace or outside the palace. Visualize that. All right, let's read um, beginning in verse 4. We're going to go all the way through 16, but check out this movie. Play it in your head. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. This is after the beating. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, to the Jews, here's the man, like look at this poor man, as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw Jesus, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him again. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate said, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. 
But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. And Pilate asks, shall I crucify your king? Is that what you're saying? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Whoa, right? Do you see the intensity of this scene? Pilate comes and says, Jesus is innocent. And then the religious leaders come, crucify him, crucify him. And by this point, you probably realize that this hand is the religious leaders and this hand is Pilate. And they are here going after each other in this back and forth, back and forth. And Pilate goes inside and he talks to Jesus and he comes back outside. And there's this entire movement that is happening here. And we see the tension. We see that each of these characters are facing a challenging moment in their path and how they handle the things that they're facing are the things we're going to be looking at here today. We're going to go one character at a time. Let's start with the religious leaders and see what's happening here. So first of all, I think it's pretty clear to say, can you feel their emotions? They're not just calmly argumenting and, you know, bringing some, some, something for you to think about Pilate. No, they were aggressive and they were shouting and they were insisting and there's passion and there's determination and they know what they want and they're screaming and they're repeating, crucify. They were intense. The things that they were feeling and the way they were reacting in that moment. And even when Jesus comes out all beat up and when Pilate says, here's the man, he's probably like, you guys, is this not enough? Look at him. Are you really threatened by this man, this poor man? And their response was, crucify him. They had no pity at all. They were determined to eliminate Jesus. Now, why? Why were they so angry and so determined to get Jesus away and gone? Because Jesus represented a threat to them. Jesus was threatening their order. Jesus was a threat to them politically because we know what happened when Jesus started going around. He's stirring people up. He is messing up with things and the people, the, the, the religious leaders that used to be able to control all of that, all of a sudden they're thinking, this Jesus man is going to get us in trouble with Rome. Politically speaking, they didn't want Jesus to get everybody worked up and start forming a movement. Jesus was a threat. 
Jesus was also a threat to them, to them because of Jesus questioning the things that they were doing. We know that out of all the people, the religious leaders were the people that Jesus confronted the most. He's confronting the things that they were doing, the things that they were thinking about, their system, the ways they worked things. And Jesus represented a threat to their own power. He was turning everything upside down for them. So they wanted to regain control of the situation. Hold on, let's get things back to the way they were. It's not looking good. This Jesus guy is bad news. We're going to be in trouble, and it's his fault, and we're going to have to be the ones to pick up the pieces after all the mess that he's causing out there. We need him gone. Now, it is very easy for us to point our fingers and say, oh, those evil religious leaders, right? We, how often do we do that, honestly? Now think about how human their reaction was. How do we respond when something unexpected, uninvited, unwanted, suddenly shows up in our life starts creating this entire mess, and we have to handle the consequences of it. How do we respond when we used to have control, some control of our lives, but then something happens, whether it's somebody's decision that is directly affecting you, maybe a diagnosis, maybe a legal process that you're going through, maybe some talking to so many people and looking at you, there's adoption process that you have no control over. There's, you're waiting for a, a spouse or you're dealing with losses. There's so many things in life that we never asked for, yet they happened and we feel completely out of control, powerless and vulnerable. And how do we respond to that? say, oh yeah, that is super pleasant, go ahead. No, we get frustrated, we get angry, we want to have control back. We want things, we want, we want this thing to go away so I can have my life back the way I choose. We want to have control of our life. That's the feeling that they're dealing with here. All the pressure and confusion and things that Jesus was doing that we know they're good, but they were like, no, no, this is chaos. I need this out. To the point, to the point that they declare in verse 15, when Pilate says, here's your king, he is the king of the Jews, right? Here's your king. They respond, we have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. This is outrageous that the chief priests would say that they have no king but Caesar. Caesar is the head of the empire that is oppressing them. Talk about bad news, that's Caesar. 
That's Caesar. They are bowing down to their ultimate enemy in this situation. And these are the chief priests, the people, the very people that should be saying, we have no king but the Lord. That should have been what was coming out of their mouths. But instead, like, we have no king but Caesar. They're saying things. They're compromising. They're selling their souls. They're compromising their convictions and doing anything that they could to not get in trouble with Rome and to say the things that were needed to get Jesus gone. They're reacting in such an anger that they're bowing down to their very enemy. You guys, this is scary. What are some things in our lives that it gets to a certain point that it's like this is too hard, to the point that you start taking these actions where, like them, you're literally crucifying Jesus and crowning another king because it's so uncomfortable and hard and painful. What takes us to this place where we're willing to sacrifice our convictions and say outrageous things that we would never say otherwise, but the situation is such that it's too much and you start compromising and letting go of the things that you believe, that what, what are the things that you're invested in. So this is the religious leaders. Let's go to character number two, and that's Pilate over here. What's going on with Pilate? Pilate is such an interesting character. So here, he is the Roman governor, right? He's the guy with all the power here. And he has no reason whatsoever to be on Jesus' team. He had no reason to be in favor of Jesus and telling you know, people that, that he found no uh, basis for a charge against him. Now let's count again because last chapter, when he first interviewed and questioned Jesus, he comes out and says, for the first time, I find no basis for a charge against him. And then in this chapter that we read today, after Jesus is flogged, he comes back after Jesus is all beat up and says, for the second time, I find no basis for a charge against him, which is crazy. He's already in the process of being sacrificed. And he's like, just want to say, I find no basis for a charge against him. And then in the middle of all the shouting from the religious leaders, crucify, crucify, he says for the third time, I find no basis for a charge against him. He said that three times. If you've been around here for a while, you know that there's something about the number three, but I will let you search that at home. Pilate is making such a clear point that this man is innocent and he doesn't want to have any part of crucifying him. However, the resistance out here, the fury, the pressure from the religious leaders was such 
that it was making Pilate revisit his uh, decisions because they come with the big guns. They're like, Pilate, let me tell you something. If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar because he claims to be a king. Do you think that your king would be happy for you to let go this man who is claiming to be a king? He would expect you to get rid of him too. And he's saying that he's the son of God, the son of God. Who do you think he, he thinks he is? You should be on our, we should be on the same page. You should be on our team to get rid of them, Pilate. So they know, they know how to poke Pilate. They know the things like, oh, this argument will persuade him right now. Well, and it works. Because after they say that, it says that Pilate, um, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. It says that he was even more afraid. It didn't say, and then he was afraid. No, it says he was then even more afraid, which means he was already afraid, and now he's extra, extra afraid to the point that he physically removes himself because they were here outside, and it says he retreats back inside the palace, and he goes back to Jesus. He's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And we see this back and forth because then he talks to Jesus like, oh yeah, okay, I remember. Yeah, he's innocent. And then he goes back there. He's innocent. Argument, argument, crucify. Oh, hold on. And then he talks to Jesus. And Pilate is doing this movement not only with his, with his voice and with the things that he's saying, but even physically. He's just all over the place. And this is Pilate, the man who in this picture, he held the most authority. He could have just said, he's free, the end, go. But it says that, that he kept trying to set Jesus free. There's no trying. He is the boss here. He's the judge. He could have just done it, but he didn't. He had this conviction, but then he faces this pressure and even though he's given the authority needed, he doesn't act on it. Again, how human is this? You know what's true, and then you walk outside. And then are the voices, and then are the other opinions. And then there are the barriers. You see the challenge, you feel the pressure, what does that cause in us? Retreat. Oh, I forgot. What was it again that I was thinking? Wait, I need to remember. The tension, the tension in the journey. The tension. When you know the things that God is putting in your heart. We see that Pilate, every interaction he had with Jesus. Jesus was doing something in him. Every time he talks to Jesus, something is happening inside of Pilate. And yet he goes out. The pressure is too much. It's greater than the internal conviction. The, the external things were bigger than the internal things. And Pilate doesn't take the authority to act on what he knows. What are some things that you know 
the Lord has given you the authority to just go for it. Go and do it. You've been empowered to do it. You know what's good. You know what's true. You have the conviction. But then we walk outside and we feel that pressure. Step into the authority and the conviction that the Lord has given you. And that's exactly what we see happening with Jesus, our third character here. Let's look at Jesus now. How ironic is it that Jesus is actually the person facing the hardest decision of all, hands down, out of all the tension that everybody's experiencing and, and all the challenges that they're facing, Jesus is the one experiencing the worst of them all, and yet, he's the one standing with the most confidence. Jesus was just solid, he was steadfast, and he was calm. When Pilate comes back to question Jesus for the second time, and he's kind of like, Jesus, man, help me out here, like, just say something, anything that will help us, Let, let's work together, let's do something, and Jesus doesn't respond. Because he's like, I don't need to defend myself. He stands confident with his head high. And then that kind of pushes Pilate's buttons too because he tries to power up and then he says, um, don't you realize that I have power? Don't you realize I have power to either free you or to crucify you? But Jesus wasn't swayed by that offer to suddenly be freed. He had conviction of his mission. Jesus knew what was on his hands to do, and he was doing it, period. He had clarity. He was giving his life. Nobody was taking that from him. And when Pilate was so full of uncertainties and back and forth, Jesus wasn't. He was certain and he was confident. And here how, here's how Jesus responds. It's so rich and beautiful and profound. Jesus says in verse 19, uh, I'm sorry, 11, he says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. When Pilate is saying, don't you realize I have power? I have power. And Jesus says, well, actually, <laughs> let me tell you something. You actually would not have any power unless you would have been given to you from above. Like earthly above, like because Caesar gave him power, but obviously we know uh, spiritually from above. Jesus declares all authority belongs to the Lord. You are not the one in charge, Pilate. God is. In facing this confrontation, Jesus stands firm in the truth of the reality that God is the one in charge. And he calls out the bluff. He's like, hey, that's a lie. I'm not falling for that. What a great skill to develop. Jesus walked in this humble, 
confidence and he declares the truth, but also he was rooted in the eternal reality of what was happening right there. Jesus wasn't narrow uh, vision focused on that particular pain of that moment. He was able to step back and see the big picture of what was happening. He had clarity of the things that he was doing and the eternal impact of what that was going to cause, which gave him the strength to continue to go firm on his mission and steadfast and solid. Now keep in mind that this all happened after Jesus was beaten. So this wasn't a moment of strength. He was physically weak. Most people in this situation would be having mental breakdowns because of the torture that they had just endured. Jesus here is showing us the obedience, the level of obedience to the point of death. And there are some things that God calls us into, much like Jesus here, that are not easy. But he is in that journey with us. He's in that journey with us, but we actually have to walk those miles. God is with us along the hardships, but we actually have to take those steps. We actually have to feel the pain, much like Jesus. He, didn't, he was not given a pass to skip past the hard stuff. He felt the pain. He walked those miles. He went through all of that. Now, it doesn't mean that God wants us to suffer. No, just read the Bible. You see his heart. His heart is to restore us. It's the opposite. The Bible is full of passages of, of the, the temporary pain versus the eternal glory. Uh, it's all about the temporary circumstances versus the big picture reality. And earlier in John 16, Jesus says this, that in this world, we will have trouble. We, he said we, because he's included. He had trouble too. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Meaning, there will be trouble. Yes, Jesus knew that. But remember, that's not forever. God's heart is for wholeness and peace and fullness of life, but we will face certain struggles along the journey until we get there. And Jesus himself experienced that reality. While going through that moment of pain, he was planted on the truth and he was focused on the big picture because there was a purpose there is a purpose for what was happening, and we are the recipients of that purpose of what Jesus was doing, and John tells us what that is. Back in the passage, in the middle of all of that dialogue, man, I just love this passage so much. In the middle of all of that back and forth, and this and that, da, 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 John throws in this statement that seems so disconnected and unimportant and random and weird. He says um, 
in John verse, uh, in verse 14. It was the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about noon. That seems so random in the middle of the conversation, right? But is there anything ever random with John? No, never. Over and over, we see John connecting these festivals. He's bringing the stories of the holidays and the festivals and connecting to Jesus. Jesus being the fulfillment of all of that and what all the holidays, uh, Jewish holidays were always pointing to. For centuries, the Jewish people remembered and celebrated the Passover, which was what? When way back in Egypt, they put the blood of the lamb above their doorposts and the blood of the lamb freed them from the angel of death that passed by and eventually freed them from slavery. And year after year, they're remembering. That's the story of the Passover. And furthermore, year after year during Passover, they're sacrificing Another lamb every year for the forgiveness of their sin, the shedding of the blood that gave them life. That's what's happening that week. So John is telling the story of Jesus' trial. Here's happening with Jesus. Here's da 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 And then, oh, by the way, it was the preparation for Passover, and it was about noon, What happened about noon on the day of preparation of Passover? Well, during the afternoon was when all the sacrifices were made. So at about noon, it was the time where all the lambs were being presented to be inspected because it was very important that the lambs for the sacrifice, that they were perfect, and blameless, and there's no blemish in them. It was the time of the inspection. Why do you think that John made sure to communicate so many times, how many times that Pilate declared that Jesus was innocent? As the political and judicial authority over there, Pilate carefully inspected Jesus. And he came out and said for all to hear, this man is innocent. There's no fault in him. This is the inspection of the lamb. Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb, proclaimed guiltless before he sent to be sacrificed. The religious leaders brought their sacrifice, just like all the other Jewish people at that moment were bringing their sacrifice. Here comes the the religious leaders bringing, here is our sacrifice. And Pilate inspects, like, yeah, he's perfect. Let's sacrifice him. This is the gospel. You guys, this, this is the core of our faith. This is Jesus revealed, the Messiah, the Savior, the King. This is it. And this has a huge 
impact in how we live our life today because Jesus giving himself as the perfect sacrifice, now we can experience fullness of life in him because he was willing to give himself and to suffer and to go through that journey for you, for you, for you. We all experience these challenging journeys. Just like Jesus, we all, we all have these paths we have to travel. I have type one diabetes, so I have um, an insulin pump connect to me, the glucose monitor and all the medical devices and all of that stuff. And I go to the doctors, you know, regularly to check everything and make sure everything's the way it's supposed to be. And I had this doctor for many, many years. She was the one that started me from the beginning. And she was amazing. She was an amazing doctor. She was super smart. Um, she knew what I was doing. She, she, she knew what she was doing, sorry. She knew, and she was very um, curious, you know, and she's always trying to learn, and she's always trying to teach me new things. It was awesome. I really, really appreciated her. Uh, but then I had to change doctors, and I went to some doctors that they knew about type one, but they didn't know much about the pump. So honestly, it was a little frustrating because I'd go to those appointments, and I'd be more teaching them than they helping me. It was kind of crazy and made me miss my doctor that really uh, knew what she was doing. And she had all of that, you know, my first doctor, she had all of that knowledge, but it was cool too because at the end of the day, I'm the one, you know, with all the stuff. So she had to ask me, tell me the things that this, uh, how your body responds to this. Or, or if you do this, what happens? Like she, she was investigating and she wanted to learn. So she was just like acquiring information, right? And then these doctors, I didn't know. Well, and then um, last week, I went to a new doctor and for different reasons, I, I showed up at this new doctor and a few minutes into the appointment, she said, you know, uh, I actually also have type one diabetes and I've had it since I was 10. Uh, I have the same pump as you, the exact one, and I have the same glucose monitor as you, the same one. And I was actually part of the trial team when they were trying it on the patients and I got to be part of that and I've been doing this for many, many, many years. When she said that, I just wanted to cry because she knows, she knows what she's talking about, not from information acquired. She knows on her skin what it's like to live with that condition, to live with those medical equipments. She knew me. She knew me. And she was able to speak to me like no other doctor ever could before because she knows 
she spoke with such grace because she knows. She was able to challenge me in the most perfect ways because she knows. She asked all the right questions because she knows. At the end of the appointment, she asked me, is there any other question, anything you'd like to say? And I just said, thank you for existing because it is so refreshing to talk to somebody that knows. Thank you. I feel so seen. The story of Jesus' suffering is the story of a God who knows. All the things that Jesus went through is why he can come to you today and say, I know, I felt it too. I know what it's like to be broken. I know what it's like to be humiliated. I know pain, I know suffering, I know death. The God who knows the God who came to walk this journey with us. And not only does he know, but he did something about it. He does something about it. He takes the punishment upon him so that in him we can be healed, we can be whole, we can have life in him. He's not a God who is watching from a distance, not feeling. He's also not a God who feels and does nothing. No, he feels, he understands, he gets it, and he does something about it. That is Jesus. The path might be challenging for you right now, but it's meaningful. It's in the journey that we get to experience in this space in between, before the end, before the victory, before the breakthrough. It's in this space in between that we get to experience Christ, a man of suffering, familiar with pain and journey with him and see him bringing completion to all the things because he is our perfect Passover lamb who gave his life for you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are and for what you do. God, I'm so humbled, Jesus, that you would face that path ahead of you with such courage because of your love for us. Thank you that today we can get to you and know that you are a God who understands, who feels 
and who is proactive about it. Holy Spirit, would you reveal in each of our hearts the things that you want us to see in how we are handling this space in between? How are we reacting or responding to the unexpected things or to the pressures, to the voices? How are we standing or not in the authority we've been given? How are we maybe compromising our convictions? God, in all of this that we see in this picture, Holy Spirit, would you set us free? We want to release it to you. If it's our desire to control, we want to release that to you. Our fears and our uncertainties, we release that to you. Our frustration with the hardships we're facing, we release that to you and we want to meet you in this space. We want to encounter the God who knows. We want to encounter the Messiah who suffers and understands pain. During this next song, we have communion available. And we've been doing this for this five week, every week. And it's a time that I want to invite you to collect the elements and really sit in this uh, place of gratitude for what Jesus has done, this place of awe, this place of wonder that he gave his body and his blood for you and what it means for you today that he sacrificed himself so you can come and serve on the front or on the back during this next song let's worship him all right so if there is something during this service that that spoke to you that challenged you that inspired you or if if there's just something that you are dying to talk about something our church can help you in or process or pray for you in there's a button that you're able to click on our site that will connect you to a person the odds are that person is going to be me so i would be happy to talk to you and explore the things that are able to help have a great week